0: invite you to take a Bible, if you will, and turn to the New Testament, to the book of Colossians as we come to chapter 4 today. It's page 985 in the Bibles in the pews. Colossians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'll just remind you that over the months as we've been studying Colossians off and on that uh, the Apostle Paul's in prison. He's writing and has sent this letter by a pastor in Colossae, a pastor by the name of Epaphras. He had apparently planted the church there. Paul had never met these people. And uh, he has given them instruction in the opening part of this, this uh, brief letter about the preeminence of Christ over all things. There was false teaching threatening the church. And then as we looked at chapter 3, he, he begins to make practical outworking of the doctrine that Jesus is preeminent over all things. And so he tells us as individual believers we should set our minds on things above Not on things that are on earth, for we have died, and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Then in chapter 3, verses 5 and following, he says, Put off certain negative things, immorality, impurity, passion, so forth. Then in uh, verses 12 and following, he says, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and so forth. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Whatever you do, do your work heartily is for the Lord. Then he gave words to some specific brief instructions to wives, to husbands, to fathers, to children. And now we come to a section on prayer, just uh, about three or four verses on prayer. uh, That We'll just look at the first verse today. This is uh, chapter 4, verses 2. I'll read through verse 6, though we'll focus on verse 2 in our time together today. Hear God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Father, we... We realize you want us to pray, often we don't know how to pray, or we're not sure exactly what our request should be, so we pray that you would use this time to motivate us, to equip us, to continue in prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. What is prayer? We see football players do it, though the camera's cut away after the games. We hear people mention prayer. We have people say, well, I'll be praying for you, or I'll put your name on the prayer list. What does it mean to pray? Is it just asking God for things? Is it just thanking God for things? Is it just praying for crises and sick and hurting? Let me give you an example from history which involves a tremendous definition of prayer. remember my name, Dwight L. Moody. He was the great American evangelist in the 1800s. He preached not only all over America, but also in numerous other countries. He was making a visit to Scotland, and one of his talks was to be at a local grade school, an elementary school. And there were many students. Some account said hundreds of students gathered in this large assembly, And Moody decided to begin his talk with a rhetorical, what was intended to be a rhetorical question. And the question was, what is prayer? But rather than taking it rhetorically, many, many students raised their hands wanting to answer the question, what is prayer? So he called on one young fellow in the front who promptly stood up and said, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Does that sound familiar? That's the answer to question number 98 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And he gave that answer and Moody responded, Son, be thankful you were born in Scotland and have been taught such sound theology. Prayer, it begins, is an offering up of our desires unto God. That's the main part of that description. Offering up of our desires unto God. So the goal I have for our moments together this morning is that you will leave here today encouraged, not discouraged, to continue steadfastly in prayer and that you will feel somewhat more equipped and enabled to do that. It's easy to preach about prayer. It's easy to study the subject of prayer and walk away feeling defeated, feeling guilty when we realize how it's so easy not to measure up in this area. One thing is very clear, though, one other side note before we look at the verse, and that is that it is God's will for his people to pray. It's God's will for you to pray to him. Uh, many of us struggle with knowing God's will in other areas of life. We want to know, should I go to this college? Should I major in this major or something else? If and when should I marry? Should I take this job? Should we make this purchase? What is God's will? And we, we try to grasp for it, and we seek counsel, and we pray, and sometimes it's just not clear. This is clear, okay? You don't have to, to spend a lot of time seeking counsel as to whether it's God's will for you to be devoted to, that's the same translation, or to continue steadfastly, as it says here in the English Standard Version, in prayer. So what does it mean to continue in prayer? What does it mean to pray steadfastly or to be be devoted to prayer? All synonymous with one another. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus tells his disciples in preparation to, Let me back up. He's speaking to a large crowd. He's right by the Sea of Galilee, and knowing that the crowd is pressing in on him, he tells them to prepare a boat to have right behind him at the water so that he can get in the boat, move out from shore a little bit, and still speak to the crowd. So he tells them in Mark chapter 3, have a boat ready or prepared for him because of the crowd lest they crush him. Now, that word prepared means set apart or devoted to. It's the same word used here in Colossians about being devoted to prayer. Now, that word is used ten times in the New Testament, but five times it's used to talk about prayer, something dedicated for the purpose of prayer. In Romans 12, it says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, his disciples are there in Jerusalem waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says, "...these, along with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." In Acts chapter 2, speaking of the early converts in Jerusalem, "...they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer." In Acts chapter 6, the apostles said of themselves, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now we have the same word here in Colossians 4. As it says, you continue steadfastly or devote yourselves to prayer. So we can observe from the New Testament that the normal Christian life is a life devoted to prayer. If your life, my life, is not devoted to prayer, if that is not one of the traits in our lives, then we are abnormal in our Christian life, not normal. So how do we do, how do, we do this? How do we grow in this area? It's always important in prayer, and if you're, not, if, you're not, uh, if you're not yet come to trust in Christ as your Savior, maybe you would call yourself an agnostic or maybe even an atheist or... Or maybe you're uh, skeptical but interested. When we put our trust in Christ as our Redeemer, He becomes our, our mediator between us and God. That's what enables us to pray. In fact, one of the longer books in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, says this, says that we have a great high priest who is Jesus. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, here's how this works, in my understanding. Years ago, when I first became the pastor, the first thing the officers announced to me, I don't know, I didn't know what to make of this. I become the pastor one week, and like two weeks later, they say, we're sending you to Eastern Europe. (laughs) And... uh, so I go with four other pastors on this, what our denomination called a vision trip, see some of the works in places like Poland, Romania, Hungary, the Ukraine. Somewhere else, but I can't remember at the moment. I remember we flew in in an afternoon uh, on, on this trip. We were landing. It seemed like we were taking off and landing every day somewhere different. But we landed in the Ukraine. We were on the outskirts of Kiev. And we're at this airport. And there were, uh, it seemed like there were about five, four or five lines going through customs. So we had our passports and so forth. There were about 20 people in front of us as there were in each line. And the lines weren't moving. We were just standing there. And I noticed that this official with the airport, he had on at least some kind of uniform, every once in a while would disappear into a small room off to the side, close the door with some other passengers then he'd come out, and with a loud voice in his native language would holler out and usher these people right to the front of the line, and they would go through customs, and the rest of us were just standing there, going nowhere. Well, being the brilliant person I was, after a few minutes, I realized what was happening. They were He was either bribing people or they were paying him, and he was taking them to the front of the line, and they got through, and I don't know how much they paid him, but they got through in a hurry now here's how i envision what hebrews is saying christ in a sense with this crowd takes me by the hand and says chip come with me and he ushers me into the presence of god and says bring your request and so when hebrews says that we come now with boldness it's not arrogance that word boldness doesn't mean a cocky attitude a presumptuous attitude it means with confidence That I come with confidence because of who is bringing me into the presence of God. Okay, with those thoughts in mind, how are we then to be devoted to prayer? What does it mean? Uh, One observation is is it means there's a spirit of dependence on God that should permeate everything we do. So that's how we pray continually. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who pastored 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia years ago and was well-known across the country he said this about continuing in prayer it doesn't mean he said you should go into a monastery or walk about with your hands folded and your eyes closed 24 hours a day it means to live with christ in such a way that you can talk with him or listen to him at any moment oh how wonderful it is to be driving along the road and to see the scenery and say thank you lord for making something so beautiful Mrs. Barnhouse and I do this all the time. We see sheep in a field and say, Lord, bless Miles and Jackie, a couple of friends of ours we know who raise sheep. Then if we know a good joke, we tell it, and we thank God for the gift of laughter that that he has such a good sense of humor that he made us with a similar sense of humor. And you can talk with the Lord all day about... All the host of things that come up, for he is right there with you. This is what it means to pray without ceasing, to live with him every moment with nothing between the soul and the Savior. That's how Barnhouse described continuing steadfastly in prayer. I think also to continue steadfastly in prayer means praying repeatedly and praying often. This was Paul's practice. We see him referring to this often in his letters in the New Testament. In Ephesians 1, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This was not just a church-type slogan, like, I'll be praying for you. I mean, he was specific. In Ephesians 3, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So it's not something we do often. At the expense of everything else, it means there's a praying of pattern that if you looked at my life or I looked at you life, I, your life, I could say that person is devoted to prayer. So it looks different from a person's life who's not devoted to prayer. Are you one who prays repeatedly and often? And the, way, what, the thing that helps is when we realize how desperate we are. We are. For those of you that are old enough to remember, I have to say that now, but after 9-11. <laughs> uh, there would be 200 people in this sanctuary at noonday prayer meetings. We just put a sign out, had the door open, said noonday prayer meetings for like two weeks on weekdays. People just show up. Uh, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that since. Uh, it's it, It's kind of expected. It's it's acceptable. It's necessary to pray in times of crisis. But how do we live with that? How do we do that on a daily basis and recognize our desperation? Um, A number of years ago, Barbara and I received a phone call from some old friends that we've not seen in many years that were passing through Macon one evening. So they said we're we're coming back from Disney World, we're on our way to Arkansas, and uh, we'd like to stop and see y'all, say, oh, this would be great, I mean, what a treat, we hadn't seen them in years, so they came to our house, we had dinner together, and I think when we had last seen them, they had either three or four small children, now those were larger, and they had a couple of adopted Asian children, one from Vietnam, if I remember right, and so during the course of the evening, I found out that they now had they had formerly served with a Christian ministry. Uh, now they had started and were heading up an international adoption agency. And I of course asked the question, how did this start? And he said, Well, it all started with her, this little one that they had adopted from Vietnam. And I don't remember the whole story, but to give you the highlight that I recall, it came about as they had worked trying to adopt this child, that he went to Vietnam by himself and it was to be what he thought was a a meeting where there would be a translator and it would just kind of be perfunctory. He finds out, but it would determine the future of this little girl, whether she could be adopted into their family. He finds out the afternoon before that meeting that he is to appear before the magistrate that's going to make this decision and there'll be no translator. He said, I went to this tiny rat hole of a hotel room. And he said, Chip, that night I was in such desperation and in such despair. I got in that room in the evening and I started praying. I got on my knees on the bed. He said, you know how long I prayed? I prayed. He said, I prayed till the meeting the next day, nonstop. He said, ask me how many times I prayed all night my entire life. I said, how many? He said, never. That's the only time I've ever done that. He said, why do you think I did that? I said, I don't know. He said, I was desperate. Sheer desperation. I think when we recognize our total dependence on God, we live day to day with that desperation. Not of not panic, not of adrenaline pumping, but of recognizing I am totally dependent on Him to stand before you, to breathe, to function, to, to do anything. I'm totally dependent on His grace. Being devoted to prayer means keep praying and not give up. To not come to the point where you cease. I stand before you as one who a number of years ago, I quit praying altogether. I'm your pastor, and I'm telling you that. Now, here's why. After our disabled son was born, I felt I'd been hit in the head with a brick. I was like, whoa. And I began to view God like a juggernaut coming down the track, and he was going to run over whoever was in his way, and it didn't matter what. I wasn't thinking straight, folks. I'm not defending that. Just giving you my personal feelings. And I found that what difference will it make if I pray? He's going to do what he wants to do, whether I go along with it or not. So I just kind of shut down. I didn't know what to think. I was just, it was like I was speechless before God. It wasn't a period of doubt of his existence. I wasn't questioning even his goodness. I was questioning what he would do to fulfill his purposes and who gets hurt in the process. That's what I was thinking. So I talked to one of my long-term friends, an Anglican pastor down in Savannah that some of y'all have met. And I told him, I said, I, I mean, he's, I've known him since junior high school. And I told him what I was going through. He, and he just listened. he said, Chip, he said, one, you don't have anybody else to go to. You've got to pray. But you need to pray about what you're feeling. Saying, Lord, I don't know that this makes one bit of difference, but I don't have anywhere else to go. It was the best counsel that could have been given. He didn't rebuke me. He didn't say, boy, you sure aren't very spiritual or or anything like that. He said, you've got to express what you're thinking and feeling to God. So God invites us in times of trouble, in times of joy, in times of need. Sam Storms said, the easiest thing about praying is quitting. It's so easy, isn't it? We give up. He went on and said, Giving up seems so reasonable. It's so easy to justify. Well, I prayed about it once and nothing happened. I'm quit. It's always been that way, he says. That is why Paul writes this verse, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Persevering is pra- in prayer when no one seems to listen strikes many people as a sign of fanaticism, if not mental instability. <laughs> I had a friend in college and her dad was a neurosurgeon. And one of the other surgeons became a Christian, and they were getting ready to do surgery on a person, and he bowed his head to pray as they were, you know, washing their hands and getting ready. And my friend's dad, who was arrogantly said back to him, what are you doing that for? That's why I went to medical school. And sometimes I think people, we talk about praying, and they think, are you kind of losing it up there, Chip? Why do you think, what difference do you think that makes? He goes on, verse 2. Not only are we to continue steadfastly in prayer, but we're to be watchful. We're to be alert. If if you have trouble staying alert in prayer, probably being on your knees with your face on your bed is not a good position to be in to pray. Uh, Walk around. Go outside. Do something to keep yourself physically alert and emotionally alert. And then he says, be thankful in prayer. Do we pray prayers of thanks? Yes, I think this is more than that. He's talking about, even as we request other things, having a thankful attitude. Now, here are some thoughts that may be helpful. Pray with gratitude that God is actually there, active and alert, and he's never asleep. You're not shouting down a vacuum, hello, 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 is anybody there, there, there? But he's actually there, and he is listening. He's not preoccupied or Gone away. Second, pray with gratitude that God not only lives and loves you, but also listens to what we say. I want to read you two verses from Isaiah. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't familiar with these verses until this week. It's Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. Hear, hear this Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers it. Isaiah thirty eighteen and 19. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. Even before the words come out, when your heart is broken, God, it says, as soon as he hears it, he answers you. As you pray, therefore, thank God that he listens. Third, pray with gratitude that the God who lives and loves and listens is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. He's not weak. He's not a wimp. He is an omnipotent and infinitely wise Father who delights in giving good things to those who ask. Fourth, pray thanking God that he has chosen to include you in the process. He could accomplish his will without us being involved whatsoever. But he's chosen to achieve his ultimate ends through means. And often those means are the prayers of his people. Thanking God also, you can thank him for all the ways he is changing you as you pray. Prayer itself is transformative. I can't can't explain it. But as we seek God, as we pray to God, sometimes he gives wisdom. He's transforming us even as we do that. Pray with gratitude to God, not simply for what he has done, but what he will do. Now, with the remaining few moments, I want to just try to give you some scattered thoughts on what I hope will encourage you to continue steadfastly in prayer or to take steps. I would hope, as a result of this, that you would take at least one step, a step in the direction of continuing steadfastly in prayer. These are just some of First, realize you and I are very presumptuous people. All, all of us. Uh, we just assume that, that God ought always to do what we ask when we ask it precisely the way we want him to do it. And often I think we view God kind of like a dog. <whistles> Here boy! Fetch! This is what I need! And sometimes by delaying his response God awakens us to his gracious character. In other words we realize that God says or does anything at all in response to our prayers is sheer, undiluted grace. So rather than being presumptuous of what God owes me, I should realize when God hears and answers my prayers, it's His grace. He was not obligated to do that. I did not deserve for Him to do that. Second, as we pray As we continue steadfastly in prayer, it has a way of cultivating within us more and more dependence upon God. If by nature we are presumptuous, I'd say we're also by nature self-reliant and self-sufficient. And so what do we think? Let me just ask you this real question rhetorically. What do you think would happen if God instantly and at all times answered every prayer we pray? we'd probably, one, lose all of our sense of urgency about prayer. We would take it for granted. Uh, We would soon lose sight of the fact that it's God alone who's the source of all good. And so by suspending his response, in a way God is developing within us just how desperate are we? How conscious am I that he is the only source, my soul in self-sufficient supply? Third, I think persistent prayer puts us in a frame of mind and spirit in which we may properly receive what God desires to give to us. In other words, it isn't so much that God is reluctant to give, but that we lack preparation to receive if and when he does give. Think about this. Try to envision what your life would be like if, as a child, Your parents gave you everything you asked for. I can tell you what mine would have been like. Certainly no vegetables. Certainly no... It would have been candy for every meal. There would have been no school. That was a waste of time, learning to read and write. Who needs that kind of stuff? I can watch television. Uh, it, It would be no bedtime. It would be no responsibilities. I could have beat up my sister whenever I wanted to, or gotten beat up. She was about two feet taller than I was. Uh, When you look at that, you say, of course, of course parents have to put fences around their children's desires. I would have had a motorcycle at age five. (laughs) It would have been disastrous. And yet, if we think, well, God should do exactly, precisely what I want, when I want it, exactly as I, is often like a child that doesn't know better, that hasn't experienced life yet, wanting everything they ask for. Everything they see on the commercials or in the, that the neighbor has. So, fourth, that leads to fourth, and that is steadfast, continual prayer helps us to differentiate between what's an impulsive desire, what's a selfish desire, and what's a truly godly desire. I don't know about you, but there are things I prayed for and have prayed for that after a couple of weeks I thought, uh uh-uh. I thought that's what I wanted you to do, Lord. Forget it. You know, I mean, I just, suddenly, I I mean, I saw things much bigger. I said, this would not be good if God were to answer the way I'm praying. Like that. Last of all, endurance at the throne of grace purifies the content of our petitions. It's like if you had an important paper to write for school or you're writing a letter, a real important letter, and you you wordsmith it, and you go back, and you, you, you correct it, and you proofread it over and over and over. As we pray about things over and over and over, it allows, in a sense, us to weed out what's really selfish. What's, what's uh, I mean, for 18 years, I prayed for the healing of our son, and yet there are times I stop. I stop in the middle of praying. I say, now, what would happen If God really were to heal him in this life, of course he'll be healed in the next life. But I see far more ramifications that sometimes make me hesitate to pray that way. What would the ramifications be within this church for other people who've lived longer lives with more debilitating diseases? What would the ramifications be toward the ministry within the disabled community with other parents that have similar children? Would that ministry be over? Does that make sense? Just using a personal example of one prayer request that I've had a lot of time to pray, 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 pray. Well, I'm out of time. Before we sing our last song, I want to end the way we began, and that was back to that little boy's answer to Dwight L. Moody. What I want to do is ask you the question... Ninety-eight from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And then I'm going to give you the answer and you repeat it like that little boy did from memory. Here's the question. What is prayer? Now here's the answer. I'm going to give you short phrases. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. In the name of Christ, in the name of Christ, By the help of his spirit, by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins. sins. And thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do come before you at this moment. and We pray that this would be just like an abbreviated time of what we are doing every day. We pray that as a result of this, that whatever the state of our prayer life is, Lord, whether we are people that pray five seconds a day or two hours a day, we pray that we would grow in this area in our faith, in our trust, in our humility, in the certainty that you hear us and are able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, in the certainty that we are ushered into your presence through the great high priest, the Lord Jesus, and in the certainty that we are totally dependent upon you for everything,